Welcome to the Fantastic Magic Center. I'm Kent Cummins, and I'm going to share the real secrets of magic. Magic on television. I didn't see television until I was in the fifth grade, and that's because I grew up in Del Rio, Texas, a little town down by the border, and back in the 1950s, you couldn't see television unless you lived in a big city that had a television station. There was no Roku or Hulu or Voodoo or cable or any of that stuff. And it's hard for young people to even picture since they've grown up with what we thought of as television, basically on your phones in your pocket. But no, when I was a kid in Del Rio, Texas, I never saw television. But then after the fourth grade, my dad moved us all to New Orleans, Louisiana, a big city, and they had television. And so for the first time, we had a small wooden box that had a screen that had black and white television. And that was very exciting because it was something new and different. I watched lots of television shows. I remember Spike Jones and his City Slickers. I remember Twank Your Magic, Twanger Froggy, and one of the kitty shows. I remember The Lone Ranger and Roy Rogers. Didn't see a lot of magic on television. And then we moved to Shreveport, and then we moved to Baton Rouge. And while I was very young in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I had my first television appearance. I'm not sure exactly what day it was or what the date was, but it was after 1957 because I performed the rope trick. If you go back just not too many weeks, you'll find an entire podcast episode on the rope trick. The show was Helen Kelly's Fun Ship in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and it was an afternoon kiddie show. They would occasionally have guest performers, and having a kid magician, Miss Doe the Magician, was something that they thought would be very cool, and of course I thought it would be very cool. So I decided I would perform the rope trick. And if you've listened to the other podcast, or if you've ever seen me perform, you realize that I cut the rope uh, tie the two pieces together, put them through my hands, and nothing happens. I do this three times before finally all the knots disappear and the rope is fully restored. And it was funny because I was doing the trick. Of course, the rope did not get restored the first time or the second time. And Helen Kelly says, Oh, Kent, don't worry. Even the best magicians make mistakes sometimes. We'll switch to a commercial. And I said, No, no, no. Let me try one more time. And she did let me finish the trick. And I do not believe that anything was videotaped or filmed or otherwise saved. It'd be fun if I did have that, but I don't. But that was my first TV appearance with the rope trick, probably in the late 1950s. Now, when I went to LSU 1961 through 1965, I majored in speech and concentrated on radio and television broadcasting. And that meant that the assumption was I was trying to be a program director or some kind of uh, executive with a television or a radio station. And as a matter of fact, when I graduated, I had a job offer from Gordy Ogden, one of the two brothers that ran the Gordon Theater, which I have also talked about before. 
he had bought one of the small local stations and was ready to hire me, but the Army was ready to hire me also. Uh, I uh, was a second lieutenant in the Army uh, within days of my graduation. The Army was sending me first to Fort Benning, Georgia, and then to Germany, and then to Vietnam. So I never took that job, and I'm not sure I wanted the job anyway. I was interested in radio and television broadcasting primarily because I wanted to be a performer and entertainer. That's always been my number one interest. Eventually, I did see some magic on television. When I was in the sixth grade, Duke Stern, who had the magic shop, Duke and Eddie's, also had an afternoon kitty show, television show. I believe it had a studio audience, although I was never invited to be a part of that studio audience. And I remember watching him perform, and that was magic on television. And you would occasionally see magic on such shows as Howdy Doody and some of the others. And then, of course, Mark Wilson came along with The Magic Land of Alakazam. And it's Mark Wilson that convinced studio executives, television executives, that it would be possible to perform magic effectively on television. You see, people just assumed that if people saw magic on television, they'd assume it was trick photography, and they wouldn't understand conjuring the art of being a magician. But Mark Wilson was smart. He was good at marketing. He was good at business, apparently. He was also a pretty doggone good magician, and he convinced the studio executives that what we would do is we would have a studio audience and we would have a celebrity guest master of ceremonies who would assure the people watching at home that they were seeing exactly what the studio audience would see, that they would never cut away or use any trick photography. Also, it was important to maintain the camera shot for uh, the complete trick or illusion. In other words, you don't cut away to show different sides of the box or something like that. You'd have to move the camera around because the audience would quite possibly suspect trickery if you're switching from one camera to another, from one angle to another. And because Mark Wilson was able to make these things work and he was able to sell it to local television and eventually to national television, magic on television became a thing a big thing. And that's why we had Mark Wilson's Magic Circus, and that's why we had Doug Henning, and that's why we had David Copperfield. I don't know that David Copperfield would today be a billionaire, the world's most successful magician, if it hadn't been for his appearance on those television specials in the early days of his career. David Copperfield became famous by doing magic on television and then when he toured the world people wanted to see him because they had seen him on television and I remember a particular trick uh, I don't remember what special it was on but it's the death saw and David Copperfield basically saws himself in half with a giant buzz saw and he's lying down on the table and the buzz saw comes down and cuts him in half and the two uh, parts of the table, which means the two parts of Doug, of Doug Henning, right? The two parts of David Copperfield uh, slowly move away. I mean, it really looks like slow motion photography or some kind of trick photography. And then things happen and they slowly move back together and eventually he is restored. And I can remember telling people, I wish he hadn't done that because it's so obvious that they were using some form of camera trickery to make it work.
And then David Copperfield came to Austin, Texas. I believe, uh, I believe it was in a theater that doesn't even exist anymore, not at the Paramount Theater. But he performed, and he performed the Death Saw Illusion, and on stage, in person, it looked exactly like trick photography. It looked like it looked on television. And so, in my head, I had to apologize to David. And of course, David Blaine and then Chris Angel took advantage of the fact that magic was popular in television. Bill Bixby was the magician on a television mystery series where the person who solved the crime was a magician. Mark Wilson, of course, was one of the main people that helped make all of that work. And uh, Andre Cole was also involved. I remember in particular uh, an illusion or two that Andre Cole invented that Bill Bixby performed on that television show. And there have been many more. So magic on television is a thing. Now, back to my experience. After I got my MBA from the University of Texas in Austin, which, by the way, I did while I was on Army active duty, I owed the Army four years of additional duty to pay for that, and they sent me to Seoul, Korea. And in Korea, there was a kid's show on AFKN, the Armed Forces Korea Network, uh, called Krakow's Corner. John Guthrie was a magician, and Krakow the Clown, and his wife was, in fact, in the military club business, which is what I was in at the time. And so I knew her, I met him, and he invited me to be on his show. And I wound up being on his show several times. What they would do is we would go in in the middle of the week, I think it was on Wednesday afternoons, we would tape the show, and then uh, it would air on Saturday mornings. I would take my son Kevin, who was very, very young back then, maybe three or four years old, we would go into the Hartel House, which was the general's mess, the club that I was the manager for. We would sit down in the TV room and we would watch Krakow's Corner together on television. So it was the first time that I had ever really seen myself perform, certainly the first time I'd seen myself on television. And one of the things that I learned was, oh, I just naturally have magician gestures. I didn't even realize I was doing it. But my hands, my arms, seem to make the right gestures. They seem very comfortable. On the other hand, I was constantly craning my neck and twisting my head around because I wore a shirt with a tie, and it bothered the Adam's apple in my throat. I was constantly maneuvering to keep that from bothering me, and it looked awful. And that was the beginning of when I decided I'm just not going to wear a tie anymore. I remember in particular when I was getting my first Anne White magic publicity photos and it was in cape and top hat and tuxedo evening dress and said well what about the tie and I said well I'm not going to wear the tie when I perform so I might as well not wear the tie for the photos and that surprised her but uh, she accommodated me and you'll still see in uh, the linking ring and some of the other publications and maybe on my website you'll see pictures that are Ann White photos and even the non-Ann White photos will still show me maybe in the full tails, top hat, uh, cape, but no tie. The reason for that is I saw myself on television. Krakow's Corner. Oh, I just remembered another 
television appearance in Baton Rouge. I had forgotten about this, but Jay Malbro, a pretty darn good magician who happened to be in Baton Rouge during the early 60s, he used to come by the Checker Fun Shop where I worked, and uh, we would trade ideas. Anyway, he had a television show called Count Macabre, and he was a midnight well, it wasn't Midnight, but he was the, the character that introduced old classic horror films on television. He would occasionally bring me in as a guest, and here at the Fantastic Magic Center, I have a nice photo of my chopping off Count Macabre's hand in the Abbott's Dissecto wrist chopper. And I look very, very young. And I'm wearing a bow tie, which tells you that this was long before I was in Korea and saw myself twitching on, on Krakow's Corner. But during the time that I was in Baton Rouge, I would frequently do shows with Fudini, the Clown Prince of Magic. John Bloodwell was his name. He was in college when I was in high school. In 1961, the two of us were invited to be guest performers at the SEAM, the Southeastern Association of Magicians Convention in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, the Magic City. And I remember that we did shows outdoors to promote the public shows for the convention. He ended his show with a square circle. I ended my show with a square circle. We argued about which one of us was going to get to use the square circle, but his was an enormous square circle and mine was a very small one, and we wound up having him produce my small one out of his big one, and uh, that's the way we ended the show. That happens to be the convention that I was invited to perform because I had won the Teen Trophy the year before, 1960, at the Texas Association of Magicians Convention. That's why I was performing. It wasn't convenient for me to take my whole magic act to Birmingham, Alabama, and so I took my juggling act, which didn't take up as much room, that doesn't even make sense because I was performing my magic act in the park. Well, for whatever reason, in the teenage show at the SEAM convention, I performed my juggling act. And I was shocked to win the ACOX Cecil uh, Youth Presentation Trophy because I didn't even know there was a contest and I hadn't done any magic in my show, really. I mean, my juggling act had some magic tricks as part of it, but it was definitely primarily a juggling act. So apparently my juggling act had better presentation than the other teenage magicians' magic acts. Another reason that that's important, other than it was a ridiculously huge Loving Cup trophy, which I still have on display here at the Fantastic Magic Center, right next to the little tiny teen trophy I won the year before when I didn't know there was a contest, because of winning that, they put me on stage for the final evening show. And that show had Mike Rogers and Willard the Wizard. So literally, I have shared the stage with Willard the Wizard and Francis. Once I moved to Austin and left Army active duty, I wound up on local television shows quite a bit. But I've never been on network television I've never been on any of the big shows like Penn & Teller Fool Us, America's Got Talent. That's okay with me, because I have a degree in radio and television broadcasting. I'm Kent Cummins. Join us next time for more tales from the Fantastic Magic Center. And if you'd like even more information, well, join us on our website, 
fantasticmagiccenter.com. Ken cannot preserve the secret legacy of magic without your support. Start today by going to fantasticmagiccenter.com and clicking the red Join Our Patreon button.